Haman couldn't have done all that stuff on his own. Haman had to have had an entire team of people. In fact, 500 is a small army of people helping him. And more than likely, the bloodiest battle of the entire thing took place at home. So you realize, let's just pause for a split second. King banishes his first wife, holds this 127 province beauty contest, finds a hometown girl. The guy from hometown here, Haman, wants to kill all the people. And that's where the biggest battle, this, all of this centers in this one little place. Even though this kingdom's massive, it just keeps coming back to the same place over and over and over again. Verse number 10, though. The ten sons of Haman, the sons of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, slew they. But on the spoil laid they not their hand. That one is kind of unique, kind of important. Haman has ten sons. Their dad's been dead for, at this point, six to eight months. We don't know how old these young men were. I call them young men because they couldn't have been terribly old. But you think they probably had some influence over the 500 men that went to fight that day? We're here to defend dad's honor. We're here to defend my dad's name. We're here to keep dad's work. So they also, at some point, these Jews here in Shushan, they went out of their way to make sure these guys got eliminated. This, 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 this little chunk is heavy right here. Right? If you read through most of the rest of Esther, it's miraculous after miraculous, and then it gets to the beginning part of chapter 9, and it's just death and destruction. It really, truly is. And then the end of this chapter gets a lot better. Let's go to verse 11. On that day... The number of those that were slain in Shushan, the palace, was brought before the king. Remember, the, we mentioned this, Pastor mentioned this multiple weeks ago. The Persians were kind of obsessed with keeping record of things. Uh, remember, at one point, the king couldn't sleep. So what did he do? He had his own court record brought forward to read to him to put him to sleep. Either because he wanted to know how great he was, and he was slightly obsessed with himself. He had to have been. Read through all the feasts he holds for himself showing off how awesome he is, or what happened in the day-to-day -day Persian kingdom was that dull. Right? As a United States citizen, you are legally allowed to obtain copies of word-for-word -word everything that happens in Congress. I don't know if you knew that. It's tens of thousands of pages of material. If you actually ask for a year's worth of material that comes from Congress, they will show up with like an entire FedEx truck worth of junk at your house. And legally, you are allowed to. By the way, that's part of the reason it costs so much to run the government, because everything has to be backed up on paperwork. Oh, start digitizing this stuff, guys. We can add security. It's okay. I'll teach you how to set a real password for once, okay? But that's kind of what's going on here, and the king wants to know exactly how many people have been slain. By the way, valid thought. You need to know what happened in a big deal like this. Verse uh, number 12. And the king said unto Esther the queen, the Jews have slain and destroyed 500 men in Shushan the palace and the 10 sons of Haman. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now, what is thy petition? And it shall be granted thee. Or what is thy request further? And it shall be done. He comes into the queen. This is a unique turn right here. The king said unto Esther the queen. So far, every time that Esther and the king have had an interaction, she's had to come seek him out and talk to him, he's coming to her this time. Because you realize, according to Mordecai's law, 
she technically has the power to kill him because he's the one that signed that first law from Haman. Esther's in charge. You ever read through that and let that sink in for a split second? She's got a little more power than he does because is, hey, they killed your, your Jewish friends. They killed 500 of my men. I'm not sure what happened in the rest of the provinces yet. What else can I do for you, dear? What else would you like? Is, is there anything else? Please, please, please don't hurt me. If you read through that, that's just the way my brain reads these verses. Maybe I'm weird, but it kind of makes sense in context. Then said Esther, verse 13, If it please the king, let it be granted to the Jews which are in Shushan to do tomorrow also according unto this day's decree, and let Haman's ten sons be hanged upon the gallows. So this was all supposed to happen in one day, and now she's asking, can you extend this defense for one more day? You realize 500 people killed, is, that's a bloody day. It's also like one weekend in Chicago, okay? This is a bad day. But she's asking for another one, and she wants all 10 of Haman's sons to be hung on gallows. This is slightly symbolic, right? This, by the way, is also highly biblical. This, and we're going to get to that in just a minute, why this is significant. Verse 15, for the Jews that were in Shushan gathered themselves together on the 14th day, also of the month Adar, and slew 300 men at Shushan. But on the prey, they laid not their hand. Remember, according to Mordecai's version of the law, again, I keep calling it Mordecai's law because the king basically just said, whatever you write, I'll sign it. That's, a, that's what he told him. It was a blank check. So in Mordecai's law, not only were the Jews allowed to completely defend themselves in any manner needed, but anything that they spoiled, so anything that that man had on him, or if they happened to be fighting anywhere near that person's belongings, that all belonged to the Jews, and they have not touched any of these spoils. They've left them. That's a significant point. They're not here to take your stuff. They're just here to defend themselves. That's a very, very big... By the way, it's also been mentioned repeatedly in this one chapter. God doesn't repeat himself for no reason. He repeats himself so that sometimes we catch it. These people weren't here to try to get rich off of killing their neighbors. This wasn't a killing spree to get rich. This was not a, oh, look, we get to kill all these people and not, I, I can finally have savings. No, this was, you want to hurt me, so I'm defending my family. I don't want your stuff. I just want to be left alone. We okay so far? Okay. This, and again... This, this extension from what I'm reading through, and I may be crazy, but this extension that I'm reading here from Esther only applies to Shushan. Did you, did you catch that? This isn't an extension for the entire kingdom. By the way, that wouldn't have been logical. It wasn't the world we live in today where we can spread this on YouTube and Facebook and social media and texting and emailing. There was no way to get it to all 127 provinces in less than 24 hours. Are we okay? So this extension is only in Shushan. First day, 500 die. Second day, 300 are killed. Okay, uh, Let's go to verse 16. But the other Jews that were in the king's provinces gathered themselves together and stood for their lives and had rest from their enemies and slew of their foes 70 and 5,000. But they laid not their hands on the prey. Again, the prey in that instance being the spoils, the stuff... So we've got 800 dead just in Shushan. In the rest of the kingdom combined, 75,000. That's in one single day. 
Shushan was the only one where this is extended into a day two. Are we all right? We following so far? This is a huge amount of 75,000 men, and the Jews had permission to take their stuff. If you take average pay in America today, which is just over $55,000 a year, again, these people kept things in gold, silver, cattle, sheep, whatever it may be. It was more physical stuff than we do, like our banking and things like that tend to be a lot more digital today. These people could have taken literally millions of dollars worth of stuff, and they left all of it. Again, third time that that's mentioned. I believe that's worth noting if you read where I'm reading. On the 13th day, verse 17, of the month Adar, and on the 14th of the same, 14th day of the same rested day, and made it a day of feasting and gladness. So they have this defense spree on the 13th day, and on the 14th day, they party. I don't know about you, but if I've spent the whole day killing enemies, and I don't mean in Call of Duty Modern Warfare video game, okay, I'm talking real life. The idea of partying the next day is not the first thing that's popping in my head. It's I want to take a shower and not talk to anybody. But that's what these guys set up. And that's, by the way, this particular party, as we're going to read at the end of the chapter, is still celebrated to this day. It's actually coming up in about two weeks, uh, which is ironic. Not ironic. Uh, God knows. He put this timing in place. So we've got all of this here. And there's some reason. I told you we'd get to this. In Esther chapter number nine, going back just a couple verses here. Um, I lost my place. Uh, verse 14. And the king commanded it so, and it be done. The decree was given at Shushan, and they hanged Haman's ten sons. I told you this was important. Go with me to 1 Samuel chapter number 15. 1 Samuel 15. I know pastors mentioned this in the past. I wanted to bring it back up again. 1 Samuel chapter number 15, and look at with me uh, verse number 8. 1 Samuel 15, num verse 8. Okay, In Esther chapter 3, 1, you don't have to go to both places. I'm going to read Esther 3, 1 real quickly. And it says, after these things, did Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. So we find out that Haman isn't Persian at all. He's not Jewish. He's an Agagite. So in 1 Samuel chapter 15, look at verse 8, and he took Agag. Haman's an Agagite. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Here's the problem. If you read through the rest of this, this is where Saul eventually loses the kingdom because of his disobedience to God because he did not do what God commanded. God had commanded Saul to completely destroy the Amalekites. Saul did destroy all of the Amalekites except for one. In the ancient world, it was common practice to keep the king alive as a trophy. You would keep him in your court, and a lot of times they would actually permanently disfigure these men. A lot of times they would remove their thumbs and remove their big toe, which is weird, but you can't run in a straight line when your big toe's gone. Your big toe literally provides the balance in your foot, and when that's gone, you cannot run in a normal straight fashion and you are considerably slower. So the odds of those guys running away is a lot lower. And in some instances, they would also blind them. So they're blinded, missing thumbs, missing toes. And they became, if you will, a living sideshow attraction and a living trophy case. And in some instances, 
some of these kings would have an entire lineup of other kings that lived in their court as these permanently disfigured trophies to show off their might and power. That's what Saul did. Well, apparently Saul must not have disfigured Agag that much because Agag ended up having children. And here you are. You realize from Saul to Esther is about 700 years of history. That's 700 years of the family, the Agag family, hating the Jews. 700 years of hating one specific people. And Haman saw his chance and took it. And Esther wasn't going to risk future generations 700 years later of Haman's 10 sons having to suffer. So she did what Saul was supposed to have done. She eliminated Agag's family. By the way, they are never seen or heard from ever again in history. At this point, they are officially eliminated. It took a young Jewish girl 700 years after the fact to do the one thing God told Israel's first king to do. That's pretty sad, by the way, on Saul's part. Pretty amazing on Esther's part. She's not being cruel. She's doing what God told her to do. Sometimes doing what God tells you to do doesn't, isn't the most fun thing in the world. There are moments where it's going to hurt other people. Because sometimes the truth hurts. But it's not our truth, it's God's truth. And we're just supposed to share it. Go back to Esther chapter 9. We're going to finish this up here. Verse 18. But the Jews that were at Shushan assembled together on the 13th day thereof, and on the 14th thereof, and on the 15th day of the same they rested. And made it a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore the Jews of the villages that dwelt in the unwalled towns made the 14th day of the month Adar a day of gladness and feasting. And a good day and of sending portions one to another. And these couple of verses introduce something that is spoken of and written in specifically in the tail end of chapter number 9. They introduce a new feast day to the Jewish calendar. And the Jewish calendar had a 12 month, 30 day month. Okay, each month in the Jewish calendar only has 30 days. The year for a Jewish calendar is 360 days. Okay? Um, in fact, almost all of the major ancient cultures had a 360-day year that was introduced by the ancient Babylonians. Uh, generations before then, uh, it wasn't until, we're talking the later Romans, which would have been hundreds of years after this, that the Gregorian calendar that you and I live off of today, where we have 30, 31-day months, and then randomly February is jacked up. Okay, and it's just like, let's make this one shorter. And it technically our year is 365 and one quarter days long. That wasn't until much, much later. By the way, it is more scientifically accurate. I understand. But it's also weird and messes us up. And we have leap year every couple of years. Okay. They had a 30-day month, 12 months, 360-day year. And they were introducing a new feast day. If you pay attention to the Jewish calendar, they have a lot of feast days. Okay. Look at the public school calendar. They get all of those feast days off, and even though like most of the kids in public school aren't Jewish and have no idea what they mean, it's just the day off. But one of the days, the Feast of Purim is coming up, and most public schools get the day off for that, even though they have no idea what it stands for or why they have the day off. But this particular one is actually broken up onto two separate days in this instance. The Feast of Purim is even today celebrated on two different days for one weird reason. Everybody else had one day of defense 
The second day, the follow-up day, was the day of feasting, except Shushan. Remember, Esther asked that to be extended one extra day. There are, depending on the Jewish group that you study and follow, they have different days of Purim, the Feast of Purim. Most of them is right around what would be the 14th day of the month, Adar, which is usually somewhere around March 8th to 10th. And the other group will celebrate it on the 15th day of the month, Adar, because of what happened at Shushan. Are we okay? All right? I'm not, I'm not trying to... Uh, there's no Bible correction here. It, it's literally written there in verses 18 and 19. There were different days. And even today, it's celebrated on different days. Uh, the Feast of Purim. Verse 20 through verse 32 through the end of this particular chapter actually just kind of lays down the basics of the Feast of Purim. Bear with me. We are going to go ahead and just read through this. It's the Bible, and we're in church. You'll be okay. Verse 20, And Mordecai wrote these things, and sent letters unto all the Jews that were in all the provinces of the king of Hasiharis, both nigh and far. By the way, this one verse right here is where a lot of historians, including Jewish historians, get the concept and the belief that Mordecai is the one that wrote this book. Because he's the one laying all this out in letters. If you read Paul's epistles, those were the letters of Paul. It gives us the idea that Mordecai was more than likely the author of this book. Are you okay? All right. Uh, verse 21. To establish among them that they should keep the 14th day of the month, Adar, and the 15th day of the same yearly. So he's establishing that this needs to be an annual tradition. As the days wherein the Jews rested from their enemies, and the month which was turned unto them from sorrow to joy, and from mourning into a good day, that they should make them days of feasting and joy, and of sending portions one to another, and gifts to the poor. So he's establishing a little bit of an idea here. Yes, this needs to be yearly. We need to remember what happened here. Okay. By the way, most of our holidays came from some semblance of this concept is something happened and we need to remember what happened here. Valentine's Day was the St. Valentine's Day massacre. We need to remember what happened here, so here's how we're going to celebrate it. Are we okay? They all start somewhere. Mordecai is literally setting up and establishing a brand new feast day for these people, or holiday, if you will, and he actually gives them some ideas of what they're supposed to be celebrating. Okay? A day of feasting and joy. If you pay attention to any Jewish holidays, those people eat on feast days. And we're talking like they make Thanksgiving look like chump change. Okay? Uh, if you pay attention to like how Hanukkah works, they have eight days of like bigger than Thanksgiving level dinners. I need Jewish friends so bad because I want to do that just once. It sounds amazing. I make up for all the time I go to the gym or whatever. I don't know. It just sounds great. So they're supposed to feast and have joy. Okay, we're still in verse 22. And the sending of portions one to another. They're supposed to send food to each other. In today's world, actually, the way the Jewish people celebrate this is they send gift, gift baskets to each other. Okay? It's kind of a, a gift-giving kind of a concept there. And then the, I like this last one that Mordecai chose in here, gifts to the poor. They didn't take any of the money of the people they killed, even though they had full permission. And now they're going out of their way to give people a need. So you realize they could have taken that money and, oh, I'm taking it to give it to the poor. They didn't touch it. Yet they're still going out of the way to help people. It's a pretty Christian thing to do right there. Verse 23, and the Jews undertook to do as they had begun and as Mordecai had written unto them, because Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had devised against the Jews to destroy them. 
and had cast pure, that is, the lot, to consume them and to destroy them. This, I, this little word in here, pure, okay? That's where they get this feast. It's named the Feast of Purim. Literally meant to cast lots. Part of the reason that it's chosen as the name Purim is it is believed that that is how uh, Haman chose the day that the Jews were supposed to die. He basically used something along the lines of dice. He cast lots and whatever month and day it landed on, that's the day they were supposed to die. Now, in the ancient world, you read through the Bible, Jonah was chosen by casting of lots. That's how God revealed that Jonah was the reason that that ship was in that storm. There are moments where God used the, the idea of casting of lots. It's not like they were, these people were gambling. Now, Haman, Haman may have just, it might have been fully arbitrary. He might have had a multi-sided dice and just cast this thing and, yeah, that's a good number and just picked it. Okay, we cannot speak as to exactly what happened there. We don't, we can, by the way, very rightly guess that God put things in place on the right time because he's God and he knows everything that's happening. But that's why it's named the Feast of Purim. It was literally the Feast of Casting of Lots. Kind of a weird thought there. All right? uh, verse 25, but when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letters that his wicked device which he devised against the Jews should return upon his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Remember, all of what we're reading right here is part of Mordecai's letter to all the Jews. So he's recapping what happened. You do realize more than likely not everybody has been able to read the first nine chapters of the book of Esther. That's more than likely why we, Mordecai wrote this. He's detailing everything that happened here and sending this out so that they know why this feast, why the death, why the, the defense, why all of this happened. Because other than that, other than Mordecai's letter right here, the Jews probably had just been told a decree that they're all supposed to die on a specific day. And then several months later, another law comes out that, oh, on that day you're supposed to die, you can defend yourselves without very much actual explanation. Are we okay? Okay, laws get passed all the time with little to no explanation, little to no reason. I mentioned it the other night in church, there's a, uh, the America Competes Act. It's a giant infrastructure bill that the U.S. House of Representatives and Senate are trying to pass. It's over 3,000 pages long. Four pages of it are going to completely ban all reptiles, most fish species, and amphibians from being sold in the pet trade. And it's literally going to destroy a $20 billion trade in the United States. Why? Because that helps us rebuild roads somehow. I wish it was global warming. No, actually, the, the, the big problem is it was a senator from uh, Florida because they have so many issues with invasive species. That should be decided on the state level. What's invasive in Florida would die here. Literally, all of my pets, if they got out right now, they would all die. It's too cold. Okay, They're not going to do any damage. But you, to give you, I'm, I'm using this. I'm not going off track for, for any reason. Uh, I'm going off track for a reason. You realize most of these Jews, they were just handed laws. They may not have been given explanation until now. That's something we don't think about. These people were just, oh no, we're all going to die. Oh wait, we can defend ourselves. And they spend months teaching and practicing and getting ready for this defensive day. They end up slaying 75,000 plus people. And now Mordecai's telling them why. You ever thought about that for a split second? Most of these people, we're talking those that are not directly connected to Shushan, may not have known any of the reasons why. It was God. 
He was keeping them safe. And sometimes God doesn't tell us till after the fact why he did what he did. And that's exactly what uh, Mordecai is doing here. Verse 26. Wherefore, they called these days Purim, after the name of Pure. Again, the casting of the lots. Therefore, for all the words of this letter and of that which they had seen um, concerning this matter and which had come unto them, the Jews ordained and took upon them and upon their seed and upon all such as joined themselves unto them, so as it should not fail, that they would keep these two days according to their writing and according to their appointed time every year. By the way, intriguing little note, upon all such as join themselves unto them. Read through the Old Testament. There are people that teach that the Old Testament was specifically for the Jews. And I challenge that they're lying. Because read through the end of the book, or the beginning of the book of Exodus, Egyptians came with them. And God allowed it. Read through Jonah. Jonah's only recorded ministry is to non-Jewish people, and God saved them. And here we have a whole bunch of Medo-Persians joining the Jews. Meaning, in the Jewish culture, you had to basically become a proselyte. You had to become a Jew. Haman wanted to get rid of all of them, and now there's more than ever. Every time... There's a persecution or someone tries to destroy God's people, whether it's specifically the Jews like Adolf Hitler or whether it's the church through the, things like the inquisitions that happened in Europe. God's people have always grown every single time because God is always good. Verse number 28, I'm almost done. And that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every family, every province, and every city. And that these days of Purim should not fail from among the Jews, nor the memorial of them perish from their seed. Then Esther the queen, the daughter of Abihail, and Mordecai the Jew, wrote with all authority to confirm this second letter of Purim. And he sent the letters unto all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus with words of peace and truth to confirm these days of Purim in their days appointed, according to Mordecai the Jew and Esther the queen had enjoined them. And as they had dec uh, decreed for themselves and for their seed, the matters of the fastings and their cry. And the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim, and it was written in the book. And this feast is still held every year. It is actually coming up on March 10th in just a few days, actually about a little over two weeks now. Um, this is coming up. It is considered the happiest day on the Jewish calendar. And I'm quoting from a couple of different Jewish websites where I was doing some research on this because I'm not familiar with the Feast of Purim. I'm not Jewish. I've never celebrated it. Again, it's considered the happiest day on the Jewish calendar. The Jews themselves refer to it as Jewish Mardi Gras. They get all dressed up. Have you ever seen the Orthodox Jews with like the long forelocks? And they're, they're very, very strict. This is the one day a year they actually smile. Okay, they, the, the old Jewish Orthodox men get dressed up in costumes, they dance in the streets, and it is, it is by command of the rabbis to be the happiest day in the Jewish calendar, and they, they feast, starts at sundown, they'll have a service uh, at the tabernacle, or not the tabernacle, the, the temple, where they'll read half of the story of Esther, they'll go home and eat, and they'll basically eat all night long. 
Get up the next day, we're talking literal, like shut down streets, and especially places like New York City where there's large groups of Jewish people and dancing in the streets, eating and feasting all day long, gifts back and forth. Um, they do the kids dress up similar to what you and I would think of like almost like Halloween type costumes, dressing up, they're handing out candy, and then they go back to the temple and read the other half of the book of Esther, and it's done. It goes from sundown to sundown. And that's the Feast of Purim. It's still celebrated today. What are we, almost 2,600 years later? Because of what happened on one day, because of one little Jewish girl was at the right place at the right time. And she rewrote history for her people. By the way, for you and I. So if that's just one, what in the world could God do if we would be willing to do what he wants him to do? There's almost 100 of us sitting in this room right now. That was one who impacted history for almost three millennia. What could he do with 100 of us that are willing to let God use us in any way he needs? By the way, even if it's painful, 